Welcome to another episode of the bonus series of the Geared for Growth Property Investing Podcast, where we're talking to the experts to get them to share their top tips on how to achieve exceptional property investing results. I'm your host, Mike Mortlock, and I'm looking forward to sharing another episode with you today. In the meantime, if you love the show, please give us a review on Apple, send it to a friend, hit the subscribe button, make sure you never miss another episode. That aside, this week, I'm keen to introduce my next guest, Paul Garson, to the show. In addition to acting as a buyer's agent in Melbourne for the past 11 years, he also has more than 20 years experience as a licensed conveyancer and owner of ACG Stonington Conveyancing. Paul's clients have the advantage of viewing their property purchases not only in terms of current market value and potential growth, but also potential contractual clauses that may catch them out down the track. It's fair to say that Paul's seen it all when it comes to purchasing property and he joins us today to share his wisdom and shed some light on the things that can go wrong if you're purchasing property without the right preparation. Welcome to the show, Paul. Paul Garson, thanks for joining me on Geared for Growth. Oh, thanks very much, Mike. It's a pleasure to be on. I hope I can help you and your listeners with some helpful information. I already know that you will. And by virtue of your expertise, so you're sort of, I guess, an unusual person in the buyer's agent space is that your background is in conveyancing and you're still active in that space. You've owned businesses that operate in both areas. So really the sort of the topic of today is the interplay between, say, the the purchase, the, the buyer's agent and the conveyancer. So I wanted to just sort of pick your brain on, on some of the parts that maybe investors don't really understand. But can you start by explaining sort of the advantage that you have as a buyer's agent with that conveyancing background when you're going through the due diligence and the purchasing process? Yeah, I guess I can. It is a bit of a point of difference. To my knowledge, I'm the only person in Melbourne that is qualified as both a licensed conveyancer and a licensed buyer's agent. I think I'm the only one. And um, I guess the fundamental difference is most conveyancers can do a contract review of the paperwork, the sales documents, but they don't really know what makes a good property tick as such, Not certainly not to the, you know, to the experience of an seasoned investor or a good buyer's agent. And of course, most buyer's agents are not at all strong on paperwork and detail and documentation. So, um, yeah, I, I do my own due diligence. I do my own contract readings and my own due diligence so I can report to the client on both the contract, the paperwork and the property itself, which are two very different things when you're contemplating committing to a purchase. Mm. And let's say, I mean, these are kind of different piecemeal parts of the process. You know, you could have a gun buyer's agents that, that's really understanding the, the property and your strategies and in investing. You could have a gun conveyancer as well that understands the contracts part of it. But like, is it the same working with yourself as ha- having, say, two experts that are communicating together? Is that maybe part of the problem? Is that they're not necessarily communicating together? I guess it could be, yeah. If they had a really good established relationship that was working together all the time, yeah, theoretically you could have an equally good conveyancer and an equally good buyer's agent working together for the one client, um, it might end up costing you more. And it's probably still going to be, I guess, a little bit less time efficient, you know, because you're going to have to pay them separately. So, but yeah, theoretically, it could be done by two different people working together just as well. Yeah, this is me with my devil's advocate <laughs> hat on. When it comes to the purchase itself, with people like buyers agents, you're obviously working on thousands and thousands of transactions. You, you take a lot for granted of that knowledge that you have. And your average person that's purchasing an investment 
investment property, well, they're probably only going to buy, you know, maybe a couple of owner-occupied properties over their lifetime. And the stats are telling us only one investment property. So with people that have maybe only ever done one transaction before, what are some of the contractual type things that you think your average purchaser doesn't really understand that can get them into trouble? Um, well, look, I not so much, obviously, with our own clients, but because we run the conveyancing practice, we actually call them Monday clients, people right. that don't get any pre-signing advice at all. Right. Okay. So no, no contract review, no advice as to whether the property is a good property either. Um, so we call them Monday clients and they're, they're kind of fun in some ways. If it was auction, obviously it's instantly legally binding and there's nothing we can do about it on Monday. So they sometimes come in, you know, waving a contract saying, look what we bought on the weekend. Mm. Typically this, this person makes no appointment either. They just walk in the front door. <laughs> big smile on their face, you know, look what we bought on the weekend. And then we say, Ooh, let's have a look what you really bought. So <laughs> let's reassess you know, that, that smile. Yeah. That's uh, has, you know, that unfortunately has seen a few unhappy clients, you know, come in happy as happy as Larry on Monday morning and leave, you know, half an hour later unhappy. Um, when we say, Oh, did you notice there's a flammable cladding building act order on this property? And, you know, the builders in liquidation. So the cost of that uh, remediation of the flammable cladding is going to be divided by, you know, 50 units. And that, you know, that could cost $5 million divided by 50 units. You know, that's your share. Mm. So that, that would be an extreme example, but it has happened. So, so you know, I, I find that quite amazing. That's an interesting term, the Monday clients. They come in on Monday because they've had a busy weekend, but surely mm. most buyers will have a solicitor or a conveyancer in the mix before they're looking at submitting offers. Is, is that the case? Is that what the stats kind of point to? Mike, I wish I could say it was most. I'm not sure it is most. I, I'd maybe put it at about 50%. Yeah, I'd, I'd say only about 50% of our clients seriously um, get us to do pre-signing. I mean, they wouldn't get pre-signing advice anywhere else and then come to us on Monday. Yeah. So I think I can reasonably assume that every purchaser file in the conveyancing practice, you know, is our sample and probably only 50% of them let us know, you know, a week before that they're looking at a certain property and can we check you know, this, this and that out. Well, I, I wish it was more, but I, th I reckon it's probably only half. And this is not you wishing it was more because you're trying to, you know, have more conveyancing clients. You're wishing it it's more because these people are harming themselves without having an expert review this stuff, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've already got them. If they come in on Monday waving a contract at us and they've already named us as their conveyancer, we've already got, you know, the settlement file. Yes. So it's not as if we're losing conveyancing business by them not getting pre-signing advice. We've still got the business, but, you know, they'd get better outcomes you, if they got more things checked. Yeah. And as an example of that, you, you touched upon the Flammable Cladding Act, but are there some common issues that you see with these contracts that, you know, in the short space of time that we've got here, you, you could sort of highlight as a bit of a cautionary tale for purchasers? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Where do we start? Yeah, I, I was mean, going to say you've got a long career, <laughs> probably yeah, notes. There's, there's always big easements, you know, big diagonal easements through the middle of the backyard, mm. you know, where clients want to do a rear extension and they weren't aware of what those dotted lines mean going through the backyard. Another mm. fairly extreme example, but, you know, we do come across it. I'd, I'd say um, flammable cladding is, is certainly big at the moment. You know, typically, obviously, that applies to larger owners' corporation buildings. Yes. You know, 50, 100, even more apartments in the one building. So, you know, they're very fat documents. And sometimes I think people just can't be bothered, you know, yeah. with a 200-page contract, you know, of which perhaps 100 and 20 pages relate to the owner's corporation and maybe only two of them relate to the, the flammable cladding, you know, I think they just get overwhelmed 
mm. I think, to a degree, even if they've read the documents themselves. You know, they maybe either don't have great attention to detail or it just becomes too much. Yeah. Well, I suppose so they're is, very extreme examples. Yeah, it is very daunting, I suppose. Now, we were talking off air about a reluctance that you see from people on actually signing the contract. The real terror is about putting their signature on something because that kind of makes it real. But certainly in the market such as we are at the moment and have been for the last six or 12 months, taking the property off the market is very, very important if you're wanting to buy a place. So, you know, what can you tell us about that, the reluctance of people to actually sign a contract? Is it just the fear that this big fat document is full of terrors? It's always a bit amusing. I mean, look, you know, purchasers are understandably nervous. You know, it's a lot of money. It's usually the biggest thing going on in their life at that time. But yeah, it is It is vaguely amusing that, you know, some purchases, even when we have checked the contract out, so we know it's not, as you worded it, full of terrors. Mm. Even if we've done the work, the due diligence, and we know it's not full of terrors, we still do occasionally get clients who are just so nervous. Yeah, you know, they just don't want to sign a contract. And, you know, in the end we say, look, if you want to buy a property, you have to sign a contract. <laughs> that is how you buy a contract. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so it's, it's kind of fun. But look, we understand, you know, a lot of our clients are still pretty nervous even when we've done the due diligence. So, you know, sometimes we just say, look, you know, you're going to sign it. You're going to come in at this time. I'm going to have it marked up already. All you have to do is sign. Mm. I will submit the offer for you, you know. And um, we eventually get them over the line. Yeah. We talked about easements as one thing for people to look out for because that can really impact their ability to, say, develop on the block or extend the residence on there. I just wanted to sort of pick your brain. Are there some other conditions that you see that pop up that perhaps aren't aware to some of these Monday buyers that are buying on a – these Monday clients that are buying on a Saturday? Are there any other key things that you think people should should be aware of that you're seeing in contracts semi-regularly? Um, yeah, there's some some. Fill- harsh penalty clauses of you know going around doing the rounds particularly in Melbourne I'm not qualified to comment in your home state of Sydney but uh, or New South Wales yep. but certainly in Melbourne there are some very offensive default and penalty clauses you know the standard general conditions in Victoria provide for penalty interest at 12% so that's a pretty healthy penalty rate anyway mm. the state penalty rate is 10% most contracts provide for 12 and then there's lots of people drafting contracts that provide for you know fixed and flat fees for everything you know that can really add up so if you're one day overdue and you know instead of paying one day at 12%, which probably it won't kill you, you know, it could, it could, could end up being thousands for just being one day overdue, you know, which is fairly unjustified unless the vendor has the same day settlement. You obviously need to be pretty aware of that if you're a purchaser, where the vendor's actual losses may jump into the thousands for being one day late. Yes. If it forces them to default on a, a follow-on purchase that they've got their eye on. And, and But yeah, so default and penalty clauses are pretty horrible at the moment. And why is this happening? I mean, essentially, I assume you can put kind of whatever you want on a client. Who's driving this? Is it the legal industry? Is it the clients kind of wanting to, to, to sting people if things don't go their way? They're feeling in a position of power? Yeah, look, it's, it's a good question. I don't believe it is the Vendors? No, I believe it is um, vendors' conveyances and vendors' solicitors being greedy, uh, perhaps basing from not charging a, a sensible base fee, starting fee in the first place, because the fees usually go to the you know the vendors' conveyancer or the vendors' solicitor, not to the vendor. Right. They usually, you know, go into their pockets. So, you know, if, if you're charging ridiculously low for your vendor conveyancing services, you might want to try to supplement your income with harsh 
penalty fees. Mm. We don't do it. You know, we just charge a sensible fee to our vendors in the first place. Yeah. So we don't have any of those fixed lump sum fees, but it's unfortunately very common in Victoria and perhaps in New South Wales as well. The Give for Growth Property Investing Podcast is presented by our business, MCG Quantity Surveyors. If you're an investor or a property professional looking to get the best tax depreciation deductions for yourself or your clients, please get in touch with us at mcgqs.com.au. It's our mission to help as many property investors as we can to maximise their claims and maximise their property education as well. That's a, an interesting sort of cautionary tale for, for vendors because let, let's say they've, they're signing up for this seems too good to be true conveyancing deal, but with these back-end kind of clawing extra fee things, could they actually be harming the um, sales potential of that asset because the conveyancer is chasing more cash? Yeah, absolutely. They um, they certainly could lose buyers. You know, some buyers would say, well, I, you know, I'm just not going to bid because that contract is so unfair. And, yeah. you know, we, if they come to us for pre-signing advice with something like that, we will always, if it's auction, we obviously have to get agreement prior to the auction. So mm. we're bidding on the basis that you know clauses x y and z are struck out if our client is the successful buyer or or us on their behalf as buyer's agent so if it's auction you know we would always try to agree get agreement beforehand if the vendor's side refuse you know we have advised our clients well you know maybe we should just be looking at other properties if it's not anything particularly special or unique about the property you know we have certainly advised our clients in the past well let's just not bid on that property that's a really interesting one for for sellers i I, it's not something i've really Mm thought or even heard about before that you could be costing yourself potential buyers that's a that's an interesting one no it is the top tier law firms as well are are famous for it you know i have tried to explain to them you know that you think you're looking after your vendor by putting in these you know we will shaft you at every opportunity clauses pro vendor clauses but if you're losing buyers you're actually doing a disservice to your vendor Mm. by trying to be too clever. Yeah, and I um, guess it depends. Some on of them the, get it, yeah. some of them don't. <laughs> depends on the market too, I suppose. You know, buyers are just having to put up with stuff at the moment. But you know, you sort of rewind for two or three years ago, then that would really be be losing them potential mm. offers. So, um, can I uh, just very good point as well. Market strength definitely plays a, a role in that, and sometimes their answer is just, "Well, we'll sell it to someone else." Yeah, right. Yeah, which sometimes could, could be for a hundred yeah, grand but the market less. Market strength has you know just eased a little yes. in the last couple of months. Few months. We we think it peaked in October last year. Yeah, and and I think yeah. that the data is probably pointing at that. You know, the the, the pace mm. of growth at least had been sort of slowing down from there. Paul, I just yeah. wanted to ask, when it comes to like having that conveyancing background and being a conveyancer, what's the perfect sort of flow of events in purchasing a property from your point of view? Obviously, the first thing is to get in touch with someone like you rather than buying a place. But then when it comes all the way to, you know, reviewing the contract, making an offer, counter offers, you know, exchange settlement, what what does a perfect transaction look like for you that really protects the buyer? Yeah. Okay. Look, I think I think it's fair to say that a perfect transaction for us is also a perfect transaction for our buyer. So it's very much in their interests as well. I always, um, you know, like obviously as much notice as possible. So as soon as the property comes on the market, if the client rings us immediately and, and say, we've seen a property we like, we like the look of, you know, usually they've gone to the first inspection by then. So they've seen it not just on the internet, but they've actually been inside it as well. Yep. Um, if they haven't even been inside it yet, then we'd actually do a bit of 
of coaching for what not to say to the agent. So we do a little yep. bit of, we've got a, a document called the buyer's do's and don'ts. Yep. So the perfect transaction for us, again, it would be a perfect transaction for the client. We would send them that email if they haven't been through an open yet. And, it, you know, for example, you know, we would obviously tell them not to say, wow, I love it. This is yeah. the one, <laughs> you know, because I say, well, that just cost you $50,000, mm. you know? And um, yeah, we, you know, if they're, you know, highly qualified professional people, you know, we tell them to give a Gmail, not a rather, you know, rather not a work email, for example, just because agents obviously profile buyers as they go through open inspections. And yep. I always tell clients it's like a football premiership ladder and you don't want to be the number one buyer. You don't want to be on top of the ladder in the agent's profiling of buyers because it will cost you money. Yes. If, if they know you're making half a million bucks a year and you're the CEO of X company and you love the property, you know, that's going to cost cost you money yeah yeah you know so our perfect client we'll do a little bit of coaching before they go through the open inspection and we would tell them pretty much poker face the only thing you need to say early is it's it's on our list of possibles can i have the sales documents please yep so right from the beginning and if it's the first open inspection it's typically about three weeks before auction mm-hmm. or before the agent will try to bring it to head by any other method of sale whether it's expression of interest or private sale or whatever. So about three weeks out, poker face, don't give the agent any information that they don't need and ask for the sales documents because that's where our due diligence begins from the sales documents. Yeah. I actually, um, and I've had a a sales agent say this to me recently, don't you want to look at the property first? As uh, This is when I've got my buyer's agent hat on. And I said, no, I'm also a conveyancer. I want the sales documents first so I can pick up anything that's unusual in the sales docs and inspect it on site. Mm. So we like the documents early because we know that's where the bulk of the information comes from and inquiries we make above and beyond the sales documents they all arise from the sales documents so it might be ring the owner's corporation and we generally wouldn't ring of course with email because we like written answers so we can rely on them throw them back at people if we have to um, you know so, so there might be further due diligence to the owner's corporation the council even a neighbor you know and and maybe three questions for the real estate agent you know so and they all start from the sales docs So we say, get those sales documents early. Then we would try to swing through. Obviously, we'd have an inspection as well. And then we'd start, yeah, chasing down those loose ends that are touched on perhaps not adequately in detail in the sales docs. And then then we'd move into pre-agreement and pre-conditioning the agent. So we're trying to condition them to a lower price expectation, get them a bit worried about some of the due diligence items and get pre-agreement for, you know, a fixed deposit, you know, so 10% doesn't become a moving object on auction day, which can be problematic. And, uh, you know, pre-agreed if we want special settlement terms like 30 days or 120 days, which are both pretty rare in Melbourne. Mm -hmm. We'd be trying to get all those things locked in and then, you know, hopefully we can relax in that sort of last week and just go straight in for the kill. That's really interesting, especially where it kind of seems back to front and looking at the contract of sale before for the property, right? But that's your background. And I think you, you iterated really well before that when you're buying a property, you, you're kind of buying the contract and the conditions of the contract, right? Like that is the kind of legal thing that you're purchasing. The house kind of comes with it rather than rather than the other way around. <laughs> Certainly one way of looking at it. But look at an easement, if we just come back to the example of the easement. Um, if I go to a property 
and there's a beautiful big clear grassy backyard and a lovely house waiting to be extended with a beautiful new open plan family room. And I know nothing about that easement because I've looked at the property beforehand. Yeah, that's going to lead to a lot of disappointment and a lot of wasted time. Mm. If we then get the sales docs and, oh, my God, there's a, you know, a, a three-metre-wide easement going through the backyard. Whereas if we can get the sales documents first, I know about it in advance. I can then pace it out on site and see how far back it is and whether it's still viable, you know, for my client's intentions. So for me, as I said, I've surprised real estate agents by saying that, but I always like the sales stocks first. And I don't think it's just because I'm a conveyancer as well. I, I think it's actually logical because you pick up potential issues and then you check them out on site. Mm. You know, all that glitters is not gold. Yeah, you know, that's, that's very much my view. That's true. Paul, when it comes to, I guess, your best tips for a purchaser in navigating a, a, a smooth sailing transition from, you know, would-be purchaser to purchaser of their shiny brand new asset, um, just in closing, could do you think you could give us, a, say, two or three tips for people to make sure that they're not pulling their hair out and you're you're giving their, their smiley face a frown on the Monday morning? Yeah, we don't want those Monday clients. <laughs> Can I be biased? Of course. Okay, use a buyer's agent. Okay, this is what we do. Use a buyer's agent who is also, you know, a licensed conveyancer or solicitor who really knows contracts or can outsource for good due diligence because you don't want surprises. You know, you don't want to misread the market. Underquoting is still a massive problem in Melbourne. So if you use a buyer's agent, you know, you, you shouldn't get sucked into underquoting and you'll have good due diligence so there'll be no surprises. You'll, you'll know whether you've got a good chance of buying at your target price and there will be no surprises. So, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing because there was one, only one or two buyers agents when I moved to Melbourne, which was 22 years ago. Now there's 50 you know, yeah. maybe more. And I parallel it to mortgage brokers. You know, when, when I first started my career, which I have to admit was in the 1980s, late 80s though, <laughs> um, you know, no one, virtually no one knew what a mortgage broker was. You know, mm. you walked into your local bank branch that you'd dealt with for years, cap in hand and begged for the money. Mm. You know, whereas now everyone uses a mortgage broker, just about, yeah. and the mortgage broker will play the banks off against each other to get your business, mm. you know. So that's been a massive growth. And I think we'll see that with buyer's agents as well. You know, it's, they were virtually unknown 20 years ago. Now they're known, but re still rarely used. You know, it's a relatively small market share. Mm. Um, I'm mindful of the fact that in, in the United States, virtually every deal, not that the United States are a fantastic example of how to do anything necessarily, but I'm mindful of the fact that virtually every property transaction in the United States, the vendor and the purchaser both have their own agents. Yeah. Yeah. They all get done with a purchaser's agent rep representing the purchaser. Mm. Virtually, it's like 96% or something, you know, people have a purchaser's agent negotiating, sourcing, assessing, negotiating for them. Yeah, It's just the norm, just as a mortgage broker is here. So I think, you know, possibly be long after I retire, but I think eventually, you know, Australia will get there where every deal has a buyer's agent as well representing them. Yeah, I think so. And we're seeing a huge expansion. So use a buyer's agent, right? <laughs> give, give us one more to close if you wouldn't mind, Paul. Uh, look, attention to detail is, is, is everything, uh, I think. Remember, all that glitters is not gold. Yep. Yeah, due diligence. Yeah, and, you know, the agent is not usually the best person to ask questions of. Yeah. Because they're, they're salespeople and that's their job and I, I don't deny them or begrudge that. Their, their job is to sell the property for the best price they can get for the vendor. Yes, not, not, not for, for you or buyer. me. Yeah, I, no. I think that's a So I don't begrudge the agent doing their job at all, but I'd be asking my questions of the owner's corporation manager, the council, you know, yeah, as I said, neighbours, 
other agents in the area that don't have that listing. I think that's due diligence critical. I think that's that's awesome advice. And we were talking off air about the you know percentage of people at seventy two percent that are only buying one property. So you know we want people to achieve their property investing dreams, and a lot of that is not happening because they're getting the first one wrong by by not using a conveyancer or a buyer's agent or doing proper due diligence. So that's awesome, uh, Paul. Thank you very much for for joining me on the show. It's been a real pleasure. Yeah, look, thanks very much, Mike. Uh, if I can just repeat something I did mention before we went live recording. Is- for sure is if you get that first one wrong, we often warn our clients that it can set them back a decade, you know, to where where they'll find themselves in 10 years compared to where they should be and could be in 10 years. You know, if, you, if you're buying, you know, relatively inexpensive half million dollar property, which is a fairly typical first investment around 500,000 in Melbourne, yep. um, you know, you should make 500,000, you know, and if you don't, if you end up selling it in 10 years for 520,000, and we've had plenty of cases like that when they haven't come to us first, you know, that, that's, that really is setting you back a decade. And it's very sad when people get that first one wrong. And yeah, as you say, I think you also mentioned off air that, you know, people get burnt and... They think, well, property is no good. Property is yeah. not a good investment. Mm, yeah. yeah. So critical. Because they got to that first that one so wrong. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. That's, um, again, sterling advice, uh, Paul. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And hopefully we'll have you back again soon. Anytime, Mike. Yeah, just let me know. Cheers. Be happy to. <laughs> Take care.